Guys, it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, welcome. My name is Kelly, I'm one of the pastors here at Southlands. Um, we are continuing through the book of Luke and specifically through these lenses of asking the question who is Jesus? Uh, what does Jesus require of us? Why does that even matter? And uh, we, we, we say often, I think about every Sunday, is that we're a church that wants to make much of Jesus, right? What does that mean to make much of Jesus? It means that we lift Jesus up in everything that we do when we gather together, when we sing, when we sit under the preaching of God's Word. And um, not, just, not just when we get together on a Sunday morning, we want to make much of Jesus, but we want to do making much of Jesus. We want to do that all the time, everywhere we go. One of the ways that we do that is that we are disciples of Jesus. We're real disciples. And in a world and in a culture that, that talks about Christianity as kind of a cultural thing, uh, a church thing, maybe you grew up in the church, maybe because you're an American you consider yourself maybe a Christian, it's just, you hear things like this, this nation was founded on Christian principles, all those things, and sometimes we can assume what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so, unfortunately, we have to use words, prefixes like real and true disciples. But that's who we are as Christians. We want to be real disciples. And what does that mean? It means that we follow everything Jesus said. We do everything Jesus told, told us to do. We are apprentices, basically. Jesus is the master, and we are his apprentices. We are following him. We're saying, we are your disciples. We'll do whatever you tell us to do. Because Jesus, you're the only one that has the words of life, right? You're, you're the only one that knows exactly what we should do. And uh, you, you, you know what's best for us. And so we're going to continue um, looking at the book of Luke. And this morning, we're going to, uh, obviously, we're going to hone in on worry and fear and doubt, which it seems like this past year, the culture of fear has really gripped us. I don't think the, the word fear and, the, and the, the truth of fear has not affected Either you personally or someone we know or we've seen the effects of it in our culture, it is profound, the power of fear. And so what we're going to do is, I want us to read again Luke chapter 12 here. Um, it'll be up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, we can get a Bible for you this morning. Um, and let's read this together. If you only have an app, pull out your app. My encouragement to us, Southlands Chino, is get a physical Bible. Why? Because it's very intentional when you open up a physical Bible, you get to know where the Word of God is, you get, you get um, familiar with your specific Bible, you get to highlight, you get to write things as God's saying those things to you. So if you have your Bibles or your apps or whatever you got this morning, turn to Luke chapter twenty-two or 12, we're going to start in verse 22. I'm going to be reading from the NIV particularly this morning. Normally we read from the English Standard Version, but today we're going to read from the New International Version. And this is what the Word of the Lord says, starting in verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, just put, put your name in there, then Jesus said to Southlands Chino, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, whatever you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food. And the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Amen. 
Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Man, we could just stop right there this morning, right? Verse 26, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow it's thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your leading and your guiding. And we, as your disciples, we this morning who are saying, Lord, we want to be more like Jesus, we ask that you would help us. We need your help big time. To be honest, Lord, we, we probably, more than we would want to admit, allow fear to lead us, to guide us, to make our decisions. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that while your word is being preached this morning, will you come and loosen up the locks of fear in our hearts? Will you change our thinking to be inward-focused to seeing you for who you truly are? Help us, God. Help us. We need your help. You're our only hope, God, and we acknowledge that this morning. So, by the power of your word, come. Come, Lord, like only that you can do and transform us from the inside out, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. What do you, what do you fear? <laughs> what do you fear? Maybe, maybe you fear uh, your kids, something bad happening to your children. Um, I have... Bless you. I have a 10-year-old and I have a 20-year-old. And I have found that in that span of age, the, the fear or the worry about will my kids be okay doesn't change. It just transforms in a sense of like I exchange the fear of, I don't know, a young kid like Getting kidnapped, maybe? I don't know. I kind of worry about that for my 20-year-old daughter sometimes, too. But you exchange it, or, and now my son or my older daughter, they both can drive, and it's like, where are you? Why are you out so late? Are you making wise choices? Are you hanging around with the right crowd? Are you being wise with how you drive? Are you keeping both eyes on the road? And I've heard that even when you have your kids leave the house, it still doesn't really leave you. It's something that as a parent, you probably are going to feel for the rest of your life. I don't know. 
Will you worry about kids? Do you worry about your money that you have in your bank account? That, are you worried about the investments? Are you diversified enough? Does your portfolio, uh, is it in commodities and, and, and enough of maybe IT? Is it spread apart so that if something goes down the tubes on this side, hopefully this side will compensate for it and you'll be taken care of in your older age? I don't know. What do you worry about? Are you worried about coronavirus? Is coronavirus the worst thing that could ever happen to this world? And everything that you hear on the news, you absolutely take that to heart and you're saying, yes, that must be true. And it has paralyzed you. What are you worried about? What do you fear? The thing about fear is, it's real. Fear is real. Right? It, it, can, it can dictate how we live our lives. I remember watching this movie. It's not a, it's not a particularly good movie. It's actually pretty terrible. Um, and it's starring Will Smith. And it's this movie, I think it's called After Earth or something like that. And um, the earth has been left vacant for thousands and thousands of years. And his son goes back to earth. I can't remember how he gets back to earth, but he goes back. And on the earth, these creatures have evolved that they can sense fear. And the only way that this creature will know that you are there because it's blind is it can smell or it can pick up on your fear. And if you can overcome your fear, this creature will leave you alone. But obviously, you can't do that in your, because you see this creature and you think, oh my gosh, it must see me. And then your fear starts to begin and then all of a sudden it's like, ah, gotcha. Fear's real. It affects us. But here's a couple of things about fear that I think we need to understand. First of all, fear begins in our mind, right? Fear, and if you notice, and maybe you're a bit like me, my propensity or my, the way my makeup is, I, I am able to think about the future, envision the future, but it's often with a pessimistic viewpoint. It's like, well, okay, um, I can see this happening, but then, man, the odds of this going really good are pretty low. And so I need to start freaking out. And what's going on? I'm bleeding? Okay, all right. It'll be all right. Um, and so, what was I saying? Thanks, love. You got to redeem yourself somehow. Um, a pessimistic attitude. And so my, my mind starts to ramble and go down this rabbit trail of like, well, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. If this happens, then this will happen. And if this happens, then this will happen. And oh my gosh, this is going to happen. I'm just waiting for something bad to happen to me. And so I'm, I'm tossing and turning and I'm thinking about how the church, oh my gosh, Lord, what about this situation? What about how are we going to grow leaders here? And there's people who are afraid and there's people who are not afraid and there's people who are at odds with each other and there's tension right now. And God, Lord, let's, let this pandemic end. And I start rolling and rolling and rolling and I'm just exhausted in my bed, wake up and nothing really changed except for the fact that I'm just super tired. Fear manifests itself in different ways. Some of you might be particularly feel anxiety. Some of you might isolate yourself from people because if I do this, then I'll be thought of this way, and so I won't go to this function because everyone's probably judging me, or I won't go to church because I know about the bad things I did this week, and somebody might know, or God might reveal it to somebody, and I'm afraid of that. Or maybe your fear results in manifest in anger. 
I'm afraid of this being taken away and I'm starting to see the things that I want and that I idolize and I'm like just holding and grasping and starting to see it taken away. And so I get frustrated and I get angry and get grumpy. I don't know. Everyone has the way that they react to fear. But here's the good thing about fear. Fear is actually a warning. It actually lets us know that we're not in control and it lets us know that we need to go to somebody who can help us, right? When my kids are freaked out, when my, especially my little ones, what are they going to do? Dad, Mom, help. They're going to run to somebody that they know is powerful enough, is able to step away from the nearness of the situation and see the wood through the trees, is able to give them wisdom, is able to come and rescue them from whatever they are feeling fearful about. And actually, fear is, in a way, can sometimes be a gift to us because it lets us know that we need to go to God. What does Jesus say about fear? What does he say? Well, this is what he says. Verse 22, he says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Then he said to Southlands Chino, Then he said, to Tom Burge, then he said to Marianne Monaghan, then he said to Haley Walswick. I almost wanted to say McGratton. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. See, here's where we have to like take the realness of what it means to be a disciple. Sometimes we can say, oh yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus. That just means I generally try to do, and I have this like thought in the back of my head of what it means to follow Jesus, and every once in a while I'm confronted with a fork in the road moment in my Christianity, in my walk. Now see, to be a disciple means we're constantly subjecting our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions, all of who we are, we're subjecting it to the will of Jesus, to Christ. And when Jesus tells his disciples, hey, don't worry, do not fear, that for us is a real thing. We're going to probably struggle with fear and worry for how long? for the rest of our lives. Aren't you so glad you came for such an encouraging message this morning? I mean, to be honest, this will probably be the struggle of our lives for the rest of the, until we go home and Jesus takes us to be in glory and where we have perfect bodies that look more like this and into eternity. (laughs) It'll be the struggle forever. Did you know that Jesus, probably more than any other command in Scripture, says, do not fear. Do not fear. That means our Savior, our Master, our Lord, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, tells His disciples 2,000 years ago, and now tells us this morning, February 28th, 2021, do not fear, don't worry. Easier said than done, right? Totally. So, if Jesus says, don't worry, don't fear, how do we take that from being like this glib command, right? It's easy for Jesus to say, Jesus, you're God. It's easy for you to say, 
you, you can see the end from the beginning. It's easy for you to say because you know all things. You created all things. You hold all things together. Nothing is outside of your scope. It's easy for you to say, Jesus, don't fear and don't worry. What am I really supposed to do? How am I supposed to apply that to my life? How am I supposed to actually do that? Well, I think Luke's going to help us here this morning. He's going to point out some things that he specifically writes down what Jesus said and For us as disciples, let's have listening ears this morning. Let's have open-eyed hearts to say, Lord, what is it that you say about worry? What is it that you say about fear? And how can I rely on you and your power to help me be a good disciple of Jesus? You guys ready? All right, the first thing we need to see is that Christianity, real Christian discipleship, isn't risk-averse. Christianity is not risk-averse. Look at verses 23 and 24. He says this, For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than the birds. Now, what is this life that Jesus is telling his disciples about? What is this like kind of way, a new way of living? Like Jesus is this radical guy that comes on the scene, says all these things. It's like, whoa, what is this? He's like totally changing everything that we, we thought we knew about who God was. He's telling us all these things that are kind of out there. What is this life that Jesus is telling his disciples on how they should live? Friends, it's, it's all in John 10.10. 10. John 10.10, 10, Jesus tells his disciples, listen, the thief, Satan, he comes to steal, steal. He comes to kill from you, and he comes to destroy you. But I have come, Jesus speaking of himself, that you may have life and life fully, and life to the abundance. That's what's called in Scripture this Zoe life, the spirit life. And for us who live on the other side of the cross, it's resurrection life. What is resurrection life? It's this life understanding that Jesus has come, Jesus paid the penalty for my sin, Jesus not only paid the penalty for my sins, but he also said, now in my resurrection, there will be a power that you will be able to live in to experience the fullness of God that no matter where you walk, you do not have to fear anymore. You do not have to be subject to Satan anymore. Did you know that? Remember how we read about the, the, the guy that uh, greets Jesus and his disciples when they get off the boat and he's de- demonizing. He says, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of God? Get out of here. He's trying to intimidate them. And everybody's freaking out because this guy's been breaking his chains and he's been howling at the moon. See, you and I aren't subject anymore Because now we've been placed from in the house of the kingdom of darkness and we've been brought into the house of the kingdom of light. And because we've been brought into the house of the kingdom of light, we are now children of the eternal heavenly father who says, I'm a good father and I protect my kids. That's all through the power and the demonstration of the cross of Christ. You and I live Thank God, beneficially, on the other side of the cross. And we can say, we can now live in resurrection life. What does that mean for us really practically? It means that 
Christianity is not life insurance policy maintenance. You know what I'm talking about? I'm constantly calling my state farm, I'm constantly calling Allstate, I'm calling whoever's got your life insurance. And if you don't have life insurance, you should get life insurance. I'm not saying don't get life insurance. Get life insurance, it's wise. But you're not always like calling your, your agent every day, hey, I just want to make sure it's still there. And he's like, who is this? Uh, it's Kelly Monahan. Kelly again. He's calling again. Is it about life insurance? Yes. Tell him it's the same thing he called about yesterday. Yes, it's still there, Mr. Monahan. Okay, thank God. And I wake up tomorrow. Oh my gosh, what about what if my life insurance got policy got canceled? And then I call him back, State Farm. Hey, hey, is my life insurance still there? And they're like, Yes, it's still there. It'll be there tomorrow. See, we we somehow in Christianity think that we're on our own. We somehow think that this is all about us. And that we have to do the maintenance and we have to do the upkeep in the sense of making sure we're protected and that we're looked after. That is not Christianity, friends. See, we have a Father in heaven who knows all things, who is sovereign and good. He's both in control and he's good at the same time. He doesn't go, one day I just feel like being good. And so I'm just going to bless you. And then tomorrow I'm feeling like being sovereign. And that might mean good or bad for you. We'll just see what happens. No. See, God is both good and sovereign. And the tension of those things are held together in the perfection of the character of who God is. They never change. As Christians, we could say, you know what? I can walk boldly today and victorious today and not have to worry about something jumping out of a bush or climbing out of a rock that is going to disrupt the plans that God has for my life. Because I have been, I'm in Christ, and Christ is in the Father. And nothing can undo that. And so Jesus says, life, little disciples, life, Christians, is so, so much more than just what you're going to eat, and what you're going to wear. That is like chicken level. I've called you to be eagle level. See, chickens are on the ground looking for little bugs and little seeds that they can pick up. And they're always down here. I've called you to something bigger than just worrying about navel gazing. (laughs) I've called you to this life and life abundant, and it's victorious living in the cross of Christ. Christianity, guys, is not risk-adverse. It means God's called me to something. That's scary, but I'm going to step out in obedience. Why can I do it with confidence? Because I know God's with me. That's it. Lord, that doesn't look right. Uh, But that's what I've called you to. Yeah, but I'm not. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. But what if I fall? You might fall, but I'll be there to pick you up. Well, what if this happens? I, I'm just telling you, this is what you need to do, and it's going to be good for you. Because I know the end from the beginning. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me with this adventure. <laughs> you guys, Christianity is not insurance maintenance. It is adventure. It is like, Lord, where do you want us to go next? I want you to go to Texas. Texas for 10 years. 10 years? 
It's humid, and there's mosquitoes, and there's weird bugs, and there's hurt. I know, I know, but I want you to go there. Okay. Lord, where do you want me to go next? Back to California. Back to California? There's weirdos there. There's hippies. There's liberals. There's crazies. They make you pay for your bags at the grocery store. What is in the world? Yeah, I know, but that's where I've called you. Okay, I'll go. What do you, why are you a Christian? So you can self-preserve? So you can hide away and just hold on? This is not in my notes. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you the question in regard to that. Do you trust, and I've said this before, do you trust God with the consequences of being fully obedient to him? Do you trust God with the con- See, what, often what we do is we say, God, I will trust you so much. Step out to here. If I do this, that means something could be lost that I really like and I love and I want to hold on to. And God says, I've actually asked you to just completely open your hands and trust me with the rest. Isn't worrying carrying caring? Isn't worrying caring? Isn't it show that I really care about my situation? I mean, after all, if I'm not like thinking about it, I'm, I must be like either really stupid or you just must not care. You must not care about people. You must not care about your situation. Don't you care about your family and your kids and the money? I mean, come on, you should be wise. Isn't worrying caring? No. Worrying is not caring. Worrying is worrying. This is what he says, verse 25 through 26. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? I would probably be live for a thousand years by now. I mean, if you were to like have a like see where I'm going to run, it'd be a thousand years down the road by how many hours I've worried. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? You can't, you have no control over this. Then why do you think you, you do? And I hear the alarms and I hear the whistles going off in some of our minds saying, well, are you saying be unwise? Are you saying like I shouldn't plan? I shouldn't like save money for my, my retirement? I'm not saying any of that. See, wisdom is based in the truth of who God is, Right? It's, it's being able to say, okay, I'm, I, I know who God is and I know of the reality of my situation. In the light of the truth of who God is, I will make plans forward, always built on the foundation of who God is and the truth of his character. Fear, what it does, is it flips it upside down and says, I'm going to plan and make uh, uh, future plans, right, uh, based on... The what-ifs of life, the fear of life, and through the filter of fear, that's how I'm going to plan for the future. Those two things should never intercross. You see, as Christians, we plan, we advance, we move forward based on the character of God's unchangeableness. That he is, again, both sovereign and good. And not all these what ifs if somehow God is going to change his character. What if God somehow decides later he's kind of tired of putting up with me? 
What if God kind of decides later he's tired of, of being good all the time? I've been good. I've been so now. I've been good for so long, so, so long. Now it's time to like a little payback. See, God doesn't do that. And if you're saying, Kelly, are you telling us just to live our lives and just like never think about it? I'm not telling you that, but I'm saying plan, save. Through what lenses? Through the lenses of the character, the unchangeableness of who God is. Not out of fear. Not out of fear. Jesus says that when we live this way, it's like grasping for grass. Look at verses 27 through 28. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is it's here today. I mean, it's all green right now, right? We're all loving the, like, driving through the canyon. I love it. I love it. I just go through there, and I'm like, Lord, I just want to walk through there and hear the cows mooing and, like, feel the cool breeze. We know, like, in three weeks, that's going to be as brown as brown gets. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire... How much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Isn't it ironic how grasping, anxious living, it's, it's like trying to grab sand and hold on to all the sand and it's like going through your fingers. It's like trying to grab a vapor. I want to hold on to that vapor. And you try your hardest and the more hard you try, the more it just goes through your hands. We can't do it. We can't do it. Jesus tells us that kind of living, that kind of myopic living, that kind of inward belly-gazing living, that kind of Christianity is not true Christianity. What he's saying is, guys, there's an outward focus to your Christianity. There's an outward like movement to your Christianity. There's an adventure to your Christianity that says, no matter what, I'm going to be obedient to who and what God says that I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to trust him with the rest, and it's going to be an adventure. But what about this? What about that? And God says, I'm going to take care of that. Don't worry about that. I'm calling you to this life of adventure. Don't try to grasp for stuff that you think you need along the way that I haven't called you to. You know what's going to happen to all your stuff when you're dead? First of all, you're not going to care. Stephen Covey says nobody on their deathbed wishes they had spent more hours in the office. When you're on your deathbed, what do you want? You want your friends. You want your family members. Remember Schindler's List when he's saying, this pin, this pin, one more. I could have sold this pin and I could have got one more Jew. I could have saved them from the camps. This, this watch, I could have got ten more people. Nobody says, I want more stuff. All your stuff, friends, it's going to be gone. Why not invest and pour your life into things that are eternal? The things that matter. Your relationships. The person who doesn't know Jesus that God has put in your life on purpose. And we're so worried we're running around like chickens. That's a turkey. (laughs) 
Jesus said in Matthew 10, 39, whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Can I tell you as your pastor this morning to lose your life for Jesus' sake? If you've been living this like fearful, I gotta have all my ducks in a row, that's, man, you, you might be like really wise and like how you, but can I just tell you that can, we, can I encourage you to risk a little bit? Maybe, maybe you're, you're younger and you think, ah, I don't have what it takes. I don't, I don't have enough experience in life to be able to tell people about Jesus. I don't have a, enough influence wherever I go. And so I'm going to wait until I get a little older, until I graduate and I have some letters behind my name. And people go, oh, okay, let me listen to what you say. Don't wait. Young people, don't wait. Do it. Maybe you're older and you're saying, I've already been passionate. The passion years of my life are over. I'm kind of in a stage where people don't really listen to anything I say anymore. They just go, oh, there, there, you're nice and cute. No, we still need you to step up. We need Joshua's and Caleb's to say, I've been sharpening my sword. And I've been waiting to slay the enemy. Follow me, I know the way. This is what C.S. Lewis says about fearful living. And he's going to use this word atomic bomb. I want you to place whatever your fear is in there. Okay? In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. Insert your fear. Maybe it is an atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply. Why, just as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed, as you were already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all you, uh, I'm sorry, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. Thanks, C.S. Lewis. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. But we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all but a certainty. This is the first point to be made. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, let that fear, whatever it is, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. And let me add to that Christian discipled things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing our children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, amen. Not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. 
They may break our bodies. A microbe may do that. But they need not dominate our minds. Man. C.S. Lewis for the win. The other thing that Jesus helps us see here is that worry is the way of unbelievers. Now we're getting real. Verse 29 and 30 says, Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things. And your Father knows that you need them. Somehow, friends, it has crept into the church, the way of the world. Somehow we are... We're just going with the tide. Somehow this culture of that, you know, I got to like look out for myself first. I got to get me in mind first. And then we'll worry about the rest has become almost a culture of honor in the church. And to be honest, I was a little intimidated to even preach this this morning because the moment you mention do not worry, don't have anxiety, all of these things, it's you are viewed as insensitive and unloving because this culture actually deifies these things. Why does Jesus say that it's the way of unbelievers to worry? Well, here is what I believe in my understanding of what he's trying to convey. And he's going to help us at the end here to reinforce this. See, an unbeliever, and you could really put the word orphan in here, because he uses the language of a father, disciple, and he says, disciples, this is my father. An unbeliever slash orphan believes that they have to fight for themselves. An unbeliever doesn't have a God who cares about them, who knows every hair on their head, who sees their comings and goings, who has determined the places where they live and all of the things that they will do. They don't have a God who is both good and sovereign. And so because they have no omnipotent Father who cares about them, they have to worry. You have no other option than to worry, then why do we worry? You know my little boy, Judah, he's 10. You know something he doesn't do? I've never gone in his room and found a storehouse of food sitting underneath his bed, never. He doesn't like hide things, he doesn't like hide food, he doesn't hide soap or toothpaste or his clothes, he doesn't like store them somewhere that no one else will see them just in case. You know, he has the audacity, this little punk, he's just like, mom, what's for dinner? Why does he do that? Because he knows mom and dad are gonna provide for him. He knows that he's supposed to go out in the yard and get his sword and swing at imaginary bad guys and have fun and like, Pull, lift up on rocks and see what kind of bugs are under the rocks and like talk to the dog and have these weird conversations that little kids do with dogs and this whole creative world and he's out there just exploring, having his adventure and when he gets hungry, what does he do? Hey, I'm hungry. Why do we do that? Why do we go around worrying that somehow God is like aloof, that God's forgotten about our situation? No, what he's doing is saying, disciples, Go, do what I've called you to do, 
be who I've called you to be, and then guess what? I'm going to take care of the rest for you. That's it. You don't have to be like, yeah, but God, what if you forget tomorrow that I have this job interview? What if you forget about that? And I'm really worried about that. I'm really worried that you're going to forget. I'm really worried that you're going to forget and then I'm going to be jobless. And I'm worried that if I'm jobless, then I won't have any money. And then I'm worried if I don't have any money, I won't be able to pay my bills. And if I can't pay my bills, I'm going to lose my car. And if I can't have a car, then I'm not going to be able to get a job. And it's just going to turn, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And God says, go to your job interview. Go to your job interview. God doesn't do that. That's me. That's me. I would do that. I would do If you do that, I'm going to go. He says, go to your job interview, do the best you can, and then trust me that if it's my will, it's going to happen. If it's not, I'm going to set something else up for you. And guess what? If you are in need, I'm going to provide for you. It may not come the way you think it is. I might have to actually ask you to lower your pride and go to the community and say, hey guys, I'm in a really bad place. I need some help. And guess what this community is going to do? What do you need? We're here. We're here for you. We're going to take a, you need some groceries? No, big problem. We can have a, you know, your car is in the shop. We can, we can rally together and help some people. We can, like, I need a job. Okay, what can we do? I need a haircut. I can't afford a haircut. Let's go to the barber right now. Let's go down there right now. I don't know. Judah doesn't hide food in his room. So, what do we do? Well, we've been saying it all along. Verse 31 Seek first the kingdom, and these things will be given to you. We get it so backwards, don't we? Like, I need a spouse. I need a spouse. I need a spouse. No, you need a job. You need a job. You need a job. No, but if I, no, just, just go get a job. Be a contributing member of society. Get mature. Grow up. Do these things. And then trust God with the rest. And guess what's going to happen as you mature? God's going to bring a spouse to you, you know? Or what if he doesn't bring a spouse? What if he doesn't? Well, guess what? God's more than enough. God's better than a spouse. And God's going to supply every need that you need. And maybe there might be a season where God asks you not to be married. Maybe he's asking you not to be married at all. I don't know. But God's going to give you everything you need. Trust God first, the kingdom, and then all the other things will be added to you in the process. All right. Last thing here. and We're out of time. I get it. But I, this is so important 32 through 34 says this do not be afraid little flock for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom sell your possessions and give to the poor provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys for where your treasure is there your heart will be also Here's what we can do. We can tend to turn something like this into a religious list of rules that we have to follow as Christians. Going to be a good disciple. A good disciple doesn't worry, and so therefore it's a command from God. And if I'm going to be good in, in this Christian religion, then what I need to do is not worry about my life. And I could just try to white knuckle it when things come against me, when hardships come, when situations happen. I'm not going to worry. And then we do get worried and then we get all upset because we think somehow God's really upset with us. And then we go down this spiral and we say, I'm not a good disciple because I let worry overcome my faith and I need it. No, see, that's religion. And so we can either hear the command of Jesus is 
fear not as a religious list of duties to do, or we can view it as an invitation. See, the invitation, what Jesus is saying here, is, remember the language of family? I was talking about Judah and a father. He's, he's saying, hey, disciples, remember who my father is. He's a good father. He wants to give you good things. And so me saying to you as disciples, don't fear, it's not like, don't fear, I'm going to smack you. Don't fear, better not do it. Um, watch, I got my eyes on you. No, he's saying, don't fear, it's an invitation to come, taste, and see how good the Father is. See, your Father in Heaven knows everything you need. Can I invite you to come into this kind of Christian living? Can I invite you to come into the kind of living that says, Lord, I'm going to put myself out there. Lord, I'm going to be all in. Lord, I'm going to trust you with the consequences of being fully obedient to you. Lord, I'm going to do whatever you say. Lord, I... I want the adventure. I want to take the ring to Mordor. <laughs> you knew it had to get in there somehow. There's going to be trials. I know it. There's going to be guys that are trying to kill me. There's going to be people saying mean things about me. There's going to be these perceptions. There's going to be times where I might feel hungry, where I'm afraid for my life. I don't know what's going to happen next, but Lord, I'm just going to trust you with the adventure of what you call me, this Christianity. And God says, yes, come. Come experience this adventure that only I can give you. Christianity is so much more than just... Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. You know what gates do? They defend. They try to keep people out. That means that the church is on the offense. Against the gates of hell, and as our prayers, as our actions, as our Christian disciple living goes on its course, Jesus promises there will be nothing that can stand against the defenses of the gates of hell. Why are we living on the defense? Because we don't know who our Father is. Will you stand with me this morning?